Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you online for joining us. Uh, it's my joy and pleasure to get to be with you and to get to share from the Word of God. You can go to Hebrews chapter 10 uh, on your, in your Bible or on your device or whatever you do to engage in the Word of God. Um, we're going to pretty much park at Hebrews 10 and 11 because I'm going to talk about faith. I'm going to talk that. No amens there. All right. Gonna, I know where I'm at now. Um, I'm going to talk about faith. Uh, and helping you maybe make sense of the confusing things that are going on currently in your life. I, uh, I have a, a deep interest, uh, a passion as a pastor and as a father to understand what it means truly to follow Jesus and to live a life and surrender to Jesus. And what's always been a, a deep interest, someone who grew, I grew up in the church, I've been, I'm a very, I'm a very churched person. Uh, my dad was a pastor uh, from before I was born, and so we've, I've, I've been in the church like every single time the doors are open, and then some. Uh, we even broke into our own food bank uh, one time as a family. Long story, another day. Um, uh, but I, I, through different milestones in my life, um, learning what it means for my parents' faith to become my own. Um, someone who grew up in the church, it would have been easy for me to just be a parrot, repeating cliches of what I would have heard uh, from others, or it would have been uh, pretty easy to just kind of walk away from it. Um, that's not hard to do. Uh, and something that has become a bit trendy uh, at least last year, is a number of notable, very public people publicly renouncing their faith. Uh, publicly, very publicly and kind of with a, a measure of pride, um, walking away from the Christian faith. And, and it trended. It, it was kind of trendy, including there's someone who's, who's, who wasn't very well known but a pastor who went from pastoring to walking away from the faith. Now, um, is that all a show? Did they really mean it? I don't know. I can't judge people's hearts. Okay. But if someone actually does that and it is for real, there's nothing good in scripture that says comes from that. Um, and so... Uh, but it isn't to say that you and I who do love Jesus don't wrestle with things in life, that we come up against confusing situations or circumstances or trials or troubles in our life, and we just don't know what, how to make sense of that, um, what to do in that, and what it means to follow Jesus. This weekend, for the month of February, I'm going to launch a, a series uh, where we're going to talk about moving from a transactional relationship with Jesus to a transformational relationship with Jesus. And uh, what it means in following him that if, if we look just like the surrounding world and yet we are called to be witnesses of Jesus, what are we witnessing to if we look like everybody else? And so there's a, there's, a, there's a measure where our life really does look different in some way. And that isn't to say that it's, you know, a particular haircut or a particular style of dress. Dear Lord, don't. That's just, God bless them. People really trying to follow Jesus, but they're really making nothing into something. <laughs> um, but I, I'm... I'm actually, there's, there's, a, there's a part of me that's really excited in this moment because it's if people actually are being transformed by Jesus and if the Jesus you've met hasn't in some way transformed you, I, I, I would like to introduce you to Jesus because you haven't met the real Jesus. And that isn't to say that upon meeting Jesus and following Jesus, everything becomes easy and everything becomes fine. Far from it. All of hell turns against you at that point. Uh, and so uh, I do, just as a, as a follower of Jesus, I, I really, 
I've spent the last 10 years hard really paying attention to what discipleship means, to what it means that, that I, have, I don't just confess Jesus, though I do that. I don't just believe Jesus, and I, I do that. Or believe the certain tenets of the faith and, and exercise depth in doctrine. And, I, and I, I believe that, and I'm passionate about that. But what I'm really passionate about is everyday people coming to know Jesus in such a way that you are profoundly different than the surrounding world around you. And faith actually becomes really critical to that because, uh, I forget that my mic's on this side, not this side now. Um, faith uh, might not be exactly what you think. Now, uh, I've, I've had uh, a, a lot of chances to speak to this particular congregation uh, and, and quite a few opportunities to speak to the online campus. And so... Um, I've tried to teach various ways of understanding these things, so this might not be new to you or anything like that. But there is kind of the way faith just kind of is understood in the general cultural climate. Um, it, it generally can mean just certain doctrinal tenets. We talk about faith um, in the context of um, just belief systems. You have a faith. Uh, and and I, that's partly true. Um, faith there for a little while kind of came on hard times when the very uh, angry atheist movement was very uh, militant against faith and trying to shame faith as if to have faith makes you unintelligent. And uh, honestly, that movement has all but fizzled out uh, because people realize the depravity of that worldview. Um, that, that that worldview of uh, materialism turns into nihilism, which is just bankrupt. That worldview is bankrupt, and more and more people recognize that, and, and so the, the angry atheists aren't as popular as they used to be. But that isn't to say that, that there were some things we needed to learn from that movement. But faith, and then in the Christian context, it's very easy in the last... 30, 40 years for, for us to see faith primarily through a transactional lens where faith is something you have and you build up your bank account of faith and then you make a withdrawal by believing for something. I have to have faith for this, uh, faith to get this, faith to make this happen. Um, and the problem with that is it's like half true. There's a measure of partnership we are in, God, in with God, that we are partners with God to, to, to bring his will into the world, and that does require faith, um, but your faith bank account just is never going to get big enough to make a single withdrawal. So, so to try to think of faith like that, like a possession that we get more of, isn't going to help you understand what faith really is. And at, at its root, it, again, it, has, it touches all these things I just mentioned, but faith at its root, I would, I would try more to describe that uh, in maybe two different kind of word pictures. Faith as a muscle that has to be exercised because what faith really is is trust. It's trusting God. It's learning how to trust God. Um, and you, I'm not talking about blind faith, what we call blind faith. Maybe I'll touch that just a little bit. Um, but faith is just learning how to trust God. It, it, it is that simple. That's not easy. And there's lots of explanation around that. But at its, at its root, that's what faith is. And so faith is like a muscle that we learn. Like trust is a relational dynamic. Uh, I don't just get trust. I, I earn trust. Right. right? You with me? So be, trust is what should exist between two people. And, and that has to be earned and cultivated and developed, right? So we're in relationship with Jesus, and so faith is, is a, the building and exercising of that trust. So it's like a muscle. It has to be exercised. A second word picture is, is sort of like a, like a solar system where, uh, you know, in our solar system, the sun, and it's, it's a power source of the whole solar system and, and emits a, the, the gravitational pull that keeps 
it in orbit, and then that relationship between the earth and the sun is what makes life sustainable on the earth. And that orientation dictates what happens on the earth, the orientation of the sun. And so faith is an orientation around God, that, that he exists at the center of the universe, not just my universe, because my universe is not that big a deal, right? <laughs> You're just not that big a deal, okay? Um, God loves you, but you're one of eight billion people who currently live and only, you know, one of a few trillion people who've lived in all of human history, so you're just not that big a deal. <laughs> um, so your universe is important to you, but, like, there's a whole universe, and God is at the center of that, and so it's up to us. God allows us the dignity of choice to decide how will we orient our life? Will we put ourselves at the center of the universe and try to control everything around us? And we have to, again, keeping with the analogy, we have to have the kind of gravity uh, to try to keep everything in, in order or we take ourselves out of the center and put the very source of life at the very center of the universe, and we orient our whole life around him. Okay, that, that's a little bit closer to what faith is. So thinking of faith as a muscle and an orientation, this is how we relate to God. That's at the basis of everything it means to follow Jesus, is that our life is oriented around him, and it is a relational dynamic that gets exercised between us. Are you with me? Okay, so faith. Because... If that's how we live, then how does everybody else live? Um, because everybody has some measure of faith, some measure of trust. Um, when you drive, you are exercising an immense amount of trust. That I mean, a two-lane highway, you are trusting that every other driver is a law-abiding citizen... you are trusting that the laws will keep you safe, that the road is drivable, and that your vehicle and all the oncoming vehicles are all trustworthy. You exercise an immense amount of trust. Okay, so, and then um, if you think you have to have all the answers before you believe, you're gonna die early. Because there's no way in your entire life you're going to get all your questions answered. So at some measure, even people who say they're not people of faith, they still exercise faith consistently, daily. They believe in something. They believe in something going on in the universe that they can't fully explain. And so to a measure, they fill that gap of understanding with some measure of trust. They put that trust in people. They put that trust in systems. They put that trust in philosophies. All sorts of stuff. So you're going to have faith. So the question is, like, what are you going to do with the faith you do have? And I'm just convinced that God is worthy of putting our trust in him. And along the way, I've got a lot of questions answered. I still have a lot of unanswered questions, too. Do you? Yeah, of course you do. So how does everybody else live? This is probably an oversimplification. I'll grant it. I do that sometimes. It makes it a little bit easier to explain things. But for the most part, everywhere, everyone else around us lives more by feeling. Whatever I feel. And that might come out in my thinking. I'll just, whatever I'm thinking at the moment, whatever I feel at the moment, whatever I desire at the moment. But that's generally how people orient their life, is about whatever they feel, whatever they want, um, whatever they're thinking at that moment. And uh, it's not working out very well for us. Have you noticed? Um, And if you devote your life to being controlled by your feelings, then you are on a very steep path towards self-destruction. That's just kind of where we're at culturally. We've gotten fat and sassy as a culture. We've had it really easy and had all of our comforts in life. And then we thought we started to deserve these things without knowing how we got this level of comfort in, in our country. And so now we're just, our feelings just demand that everything be like what we want it and it's just not working. So we get an opportunity to live different. 
Well, what is that? That's faith. Okay, so now, that's just building up a little foundation to get you in the right frame of mind. So, your life, it's not easy, right? Okay, right, so our life is not easy, Pastor Terry. Everybody else is fine, apparently, so I don't know why I'm up here. I'll show you up here. (laughs) Confusing things happen, right? So you go through struggles and trials and pains and circumstances that, that confuse you and disorient you and, 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 and it just, that's, that's life. Um, and so what do we do as followers of Jesus in that? And again, my concern is that because we've come up against a few unanswered questions, people are writing the entire faith off just because you have a couple unanswered questions or a few challenges that you're not, you're not getting reconciled. Um, and so my like commitment as a, as a follower of Jesus is that no matter what happens in my orbit, like I'm gonna stay in this orbit with, with God at the center. Like that's just, that's my commitment. But that means that, that I might have to go through some stuff. This is where, man, it took me a long time to get to the opening scripture. Are y'all good being here like all day and all night? Because I don't even have an outline. I just sent him a few scriptures that are a big maybe, so... Online, I'm, you, you might get really distracted, so just stick with me. So let, let's, let's look at this Hebrews 10. Let me read just two verses first. We'll read through the end of the chapter overall, but, but just two verses, and then let me clarify. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Therefore, do not, do not throw away your confidence. It has a great reward, your confidence. Okay, before this verse in Hebrews 10, there's statements about uh, encouraging and assembling together, challenging one another. There's statements about apostasy. People who go intentionally and deliberately going on sinning. There's statements about suffering, statements about trials. And so he's kind of giving this scope of like, okay, once you follow Jesus, actually things got harder. So what do we do? And he says, because of all this stuff, don't throw away your confidence. It has a great reward. Confidence in what? Because pride is pretty nasty to the Lord, right? It is what God... Lucifer kicked out of heaven. So obviously that's pretty darn stupid to be in prime <laughs> if, if you get kicked out of heaven for that. That's pretty stupid. So, so confidence can't be a confidence in, in myself, which means confidence in me is going to be of very little value. So it means, if, if again, if we're kind of in the realm of faith here, That means faith in my ability will not get me very far and will most assuredly not get me a reward. Faith in my own understanding, faith in my own knowledge, faith in my own abilities, faith in my own wisdom, those, that has a very low lid. Anybody else? That's just, my own, my own self just does not amount to much whatsoever. So if I can't, can't be confident in that. So earlier in that chapter, it talked about God and he that promised is able to perform. So there is a confidence that comes with faith that I can trust God. And troubles and trials and even peers and people around me committing apostasy, leaving the faith, that those don't have to shake my confidence in God's character. God operates on a whole large scale that we are incapable of getting his perspective, okay? And so when I'm going through a struggle that's confusing, that's not the moment for me to lose my confidence in God's character that has a whole human history of proving himself faithful. So my one trial... My one struggle is not the one moment where God's faithfulness just, he just goes, I'm totally confused by your problem. I don't know what to do. 
And so it's that confidence in God's character, not my circumstances, that has a reward associated with it. And he doesn't even really go into detail what that reward is. And you've got to read like the whole book of Hebrews for that. So, so what, what's happening in life, no matter if it's you know, confusing things that are going on at a national level or confusing things that are going on at a personal level, it's an opportunity for me to reaffirm my confidence in God's character. And then the next verse, it says, for you have need of endurance. Now, I don't know if I've ever gone through a problem or a confusing situation or a heavy season and thought, you know what I need? I need endurance. I've never had that. Most of the time, I imagine you're like me. I go, no, what I need is relief. I need reprieve. I need escape. And yet the author of Hebrews doesn't see it that way. So when I'm in a trial, a trouble, a situation that's confusing, or I'm struggling, or I'm hurt, what do I need? Endurance. So what is being challenged when I'm in that season? And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about physical ailments, emotional ailments. I mean, it's uh, just, maybe just be clear, um, you know, there's in the last couple of years, you know, not just our son being in a NICU and my dad being in an ICU, um, my wife and I both had, had trials and seasons of battling like depression, de- depressive thoughts and oppression of the enemy. Um, those kind of struggles that, that it's not like this one verse light switch gets turned off. Oh, I read that one verse and boom, magically it was all gone. And yeah, it would be nice. But apparently, even if I disagree, God's sovereignty has constructed a world where he feels it appropriate for me to go through these seasons. But not to be defeated by them. Because what do I need? I need endurance. And I, and I can't let this, you know, an emotion of oppression that's coming up against me. What do I need? I need endurance. And so I, I don't need to lose my confidence. And my confidence is certainly not in my circumstances. My confidence is certainly not in my ability. My ability, my best efforts got me in the ditch I was in. My confidence in God's character, it's a recalibration, a reorientation of my life back around God and his character. My circumstances are all over the place. My emotions are all over the place, but God's character is faithful, it's consistent, it's eternal, and I can trust him. And, and now, this struggle, what is it doing in me? It's, it's developing the muscle of faith to be able to stand and stand and stand and then the enemy brings more and I stand harder, I stand firmer, I stand stronger and not confidence in me. I'm a baby, guys. I'm a weakling. I am incompetent. Like overall, I'm mostly a horrible human being on my own, in my flesh. But I don't walk in the flesh. And when things are coming against me, it should be reminding me who I really am. Because who I am is not this stupid and weak thing. Who I am is Christ in me. And so I, I shouldn't be surprised that problems happen in my life. And even though I would, I, would much, I would much rather avoid them and figure out a way to live navigating around them. That's what I would prefer. But, but for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, he sees it fit that these, this is an appropriate season in my life 
for this. And I'm, I've got to learn something. I'm not saying God did something to teach me something. Here, do you, uh, that, that's, that's probably a lot of explanation that I can't fully explain. So, so maybe let's, let's, let's go back to verse 36. I have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you've done the will of God. So I'll say this just in a statement that I can't fully explain it briefly. It just takes a long time to explain. So I'll just say it. There are many things in a broken world that happen and that people do that are not God's will. Okay? But no matter what happens, I can do God's will in it. So just to be clear, it was not God's will that my son was born dead. That was not God's will. It was not God's will that my dad had a heart attack. That's not God's will. And you couldn't convince me otherwise. You won't because it's just, that's not true. It's not God's will. But it happened. So, in what happens, I've got a choice. What am I going to do? I'm going to have confidence. And I need endurance. And I'm going in that moment, no matter what, if what's coming against me is not God's will, I am going to do God's will. I can do God's will, no matter what's coming against me. No matter if my body is sick, which is not God's will, I can still fulfill God's will even in that. Even if I'm in a season where my emotions are all over the place and I'm battling oppression and depression, I can fulfill God's will even though that that trial, that season, that suffering is not God's will. But I can't do that if I don't exercise some perseverance. And so your greatest problem is also your greatest opportunity. I know you don't want to hear that. I know you don't like it. I don't like it. (laughs) Because even even recently, just whining and complaining to my wife. And then like, just hearing myself. And I'm like, Jacob, shut up. (laughs) I, I talk to myself like that so nobody else has to. I'm like, listen to you, Jacob. Like, you preach better than, than this. It's like, you better line up to your good preaching, Jacob. Like, this is an opportunity. I don't like it any more than you do. I don't want this, whatever's going on, any more than anybody else does. But it's happening. And I, it's an opportunity, an opportunity for me to learn. What am I learning? Not how to strategize better, not how to figure things out more, not how to avoid the problem in the future. Although all of those things may come around in the process, what I'm learning, I can trust God. I, I can have confidence in his character even when the world around me seems to be falling apart. And in this moment, with that confidence and that perseverance, I can fulfill the will of God. I can take, I may not have all of the steps in front of me, which is my personality. I don't know if, I don't know if there's anybody else like me. Um, I'm a recovering control freak, okay? That's who I was. That's not who I am. And I like to figure things out. Uh, one of the aspects of, uh, I, I actually, I, I enjoy little personality profiles not because I think they tell me who I am. I know who I am in Christ. But I have been wired a particular way that it, it, it's helpful to learn even if I don't claim that as an identity. Okay, do you with me? So if you like personality stuff, that's awesome. Just don't claim it as an identity. Um, but when I find something that I align with, in one of them, in one of the personality assessments, it was um, participation without understanding is dangerous. Like, I like to call that wisdom. (laughs) 
the weak side of that is control, but the, the, the godly side of that's wisdom. I mean, some people are like, yeah, I'm up for whatever. That is not me. I am not up for whatever. <laughs> if you require my participation, you better explain it in detail and have already run beta tests. <laughs> so there's a measure where I like to have a plan. A very detailed plan. A plan that safe me, safely delivers me into the finish line. And avoids, it's, it's, the, it's the most efficient route with the least amount of resistance and pain. Yeah? And, and, and a lot of times, I, I require that in my life before I ever take the first step. Some of that actually is wisdom, okay? But a lot of it is my own control. And there are seasons in my life where, where yes, it's appropriate. Like, I, I can see, okay, so this might sound a little weird. I can see clearer five years from now than I can see clearer a month from now. There's a vision part of me that loves to imagine the future. I can see pretty clearly 50 years from now. That's just a part of God's wiring in me that I, I, I want to dream and I want him to anoint my imagination and imagining 50 years from now and 30 years from now and 20 years from now. Like I can see that pretty clearly. Um, I can't see a month from now very clearly. And, and part of my learning in this process is learning how we can have a plan but God orders my steps. And that he's probably not gonna map out the next three to 10 steps. But he'll, he'll faithfully deliver the next step. And I have to learn how to fulfill the will of God by taking one step and not know what else is next. And not lose confidence in his character, not confidence in my plan. Because apparently, God thinks that if I make a plan, I will mess this up. Now, like, he and I have discussions about this. I feel like I make good plans. But I also have a tendency to say, uh, thanks, God, for the plan. I'll, I'll let you know when I'm done. I don't consciously do that, but, that, I mean, come on. Anybody else with me? Okay. There's a few of you. So, so I've got to be able, if, I'm, if my life is completely oriented around Jesus, to be able to take whatever the next step is and just trust that in taking that step, the next one will be mapped out. And if it's not clear with the Lord, then I have to be able to patiently wait and be still before the Lord and exercise my perseverance. He wants to develop perseverance in me so that no matter the situation, however confusing or, or big of a struggle, I can still fulfill his will. And I do that because of my trust in him, not because of my great plan. So you need faith. You don't just need a big bank account of faith. You need trust. We need trust. And we, 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 need, we need endurance in that. Because you are not promised an easy life. And following Jesus is not, they call it the myth of religious fulfillment. Meaning people think that I, will, I want to live on the path of least resistance. This particular guru, this particular preacher, this particular uh, person promises me if I will take this route in life, it is the path of least resistance, God will give you all that you want because he's so loving and so good. You get everything you want and life will be easy. And they are lying to you. They are deceiving you. It's a myth of religious fulfillment. No, actually, you follow Jesus, it's probably going to get harder. But it'll be worth it. Because when you fulfill the will of God, you receive what is promised. So you got to know what God promises, not what you made up for yourself and then demand God do for you. But recognize what his promise is and trust him. He that promised is faithful to deliver. And that look, then it looks like verse 1 of chapter 11. No, sorry. I need to. 
I want to be good on my time, but I don't get just two campuses very often, so you're getting some fresh thinking, all right? So I'm not going to promise that this is a well-done steak. It might be medium rare a little bit, okay? So it's not going to kill you, I promise. It might, it might hurt you a little bit. So then, Hebrews 10, the author uh, refers back, so he makes this point about faith, perseverance, confidence, will of God, and then he quotes Habakkuk 2, verse 37 of Hebrews 10. He quotes Habakkuk 2. Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's intense. What he's quoting from Habakkuk 2 is a very interesting little phrase. It says God makes this delivery, gives this answer, and he says, it will not delay. Though it delay, so here's the deal. God stands and is, is it, is it okay for just a second I get just a tad philosophical with you? I set you up. Who's going to tell me no on that one? <laughs> no, don't do that. Okay, so just if, if this doesn't light your fire, give me like maybe longer than two minutes. Just be with me for just a second, okay? Because if you can get this, it's actually pretty simple. God created time, okay? Which means he stands above it. And he, day one, you know, Genesis 1-3 And the very end, Revelation 22, is all as one to him. You with me? He exists in both simultaneously. Okay? So we are somewhere in that time spectrum. Okay? We exist in the present. Our minds and our spirits can kind of move outside of time, but your body definitively exists in the present. And we only experience time in a half dimension. Now, forward. Past is past. But God does not. He he is outside of time. And so to him, let's just take your particular situation. Let's ignore the whole space-time continuum for just a second and focus on you. You're in the present. And the present is kind of terrible. Anybody? (laughs) This is not great, okay? not awesome all right and don't throw away your confidence it has a great reward you need perseverance so that after you have done the will of God you receive what is promised okay so there is somewhere in your future maybe tonight maybe a year from now where the promise that God made is united with your faith and is delivered. He that promised is faithful to deliver, okay? So there is a future moment. It could be like the next second or it could be the next decade. You don't get to control this, all right? So chill out. So sometime in your future, God has already fulfilled the promise. And to him, he exists both in your present and in your future where that promise is fulfilled simultaneously. And yet we only have one part perspective and it's very, very, very minuscule. Because most most of us and most of the world around us lives by feeling, not by faith, right? So when he says, yet in a little while, it's gonna come, it will not delay. But from your perspective, it's only delaying. Because it's not now. He that promised is faithful. And he is just as much in the moment of your joy and celebration of the promise fulfilled. He is existing presently just as much in that moment as your present moment of trial and trouble. 
So when he says, trust me, it's not going to delay, you can trust him. Even if the route between your present and your future feels like it's moving all around. Okay, let me just push this just a little further. God is working on a scale far beyond what you and I can imagine. So he is that for you, right? And there are 8 billion of us presently. God is perfectly constructing everybody's present toward his future simultaneously, even working with the people who are against him, working with the people who are in rebellion, because he's moving all of history to its climax, the return of Jesus. And so we can trust him because he might be bringing someone that's in rebellion to him in our path that we're so focused on getting what we want that what about what he wants? He wants you to have an interaction with this one of eight billion person who just so happens to be moving in your path and that moment because you've got perseverance, are able to minister to them and get them moving in the direction of God's will. That's why we should just face it. We're idiots. In our flesh, we have no idea what's going on. And yet we do not walk in the flesh. We walk in the spirit. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can navigate all of this and be right alongside God's will that's at work in 8 billion people currently. And not only that, this, maybe this will freak you out just a little bit. He's also doing that in the past. I'll leave that for another day. This, this is how, I'm convinced, this is how nothing in your life goes to waste in God. And I've, I've watched it. I've watched it where trauma that someone experienced in their past that put them on a path of self-destruction, others' destruction, and they've lived so long of their life with this trauma, is able to work with the Holy Spirit and in their mind be able to rewind and go back to that moment and see where God was present. In the moment, they didn't see it. In the moment, they didn't understand it. But somehow, by patient and loving and tender care with reflection, go back and see God was there. And God, in the past, transformed what was trauma into such healing that so impacts their present that puts them on a new trajectory to bring healing where once there was trauma. God is just as much in the present as he was there in your past and is able, and this, this, this takes care, it takes patience, it takes love and compassion, is able to work with you in the present from your past and in a sense totally rewire your past to where now you say, I can see it and God did work all things together for my good. In the moment, you were just ticked off at God and thought he abandoned you and, and that, that he paid no attention. There must not be a God. But somehow, he's able to take you back. Okay, so that might have been a little pushing it. God works on a scale beyond what we can fathom and is working in the past it's just, it's, it's crazy. I could push that a little further, but I won't. So let's, let's, let's. So what do we do? Okay, so okay, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I blew your mind there. Or maybe you're like, ah, that's petty stuff. Great, good. And you're brilliant, let's, let's get moving then. But we exist now, Right? And we are in a trouble, a trial, a pain, a, a, a confusing circumstance. So he says, I will not delay. So even though you think it's delayed, because it's not happening now. 
It's somewhere out there that is perfectly timed for you, for your good, perfectly. Any Tolkien fans? A wizard is never, a wizard is always on time, never early nor late, arrives exactly when he means to. Nobody? Come on, y'all. You need to read good literature. (laughs) The delivery of his promise is perfectly timed for you. So even though I don't necessarily agree with him, somehow within the scope of his sovereignty, he sees it fit that fulfillment of this promise is somewhere in the future, even if it's a second from now. Okay, you with me? We can still uh, agree and believe for instant manifestations of all of God's promises. And then when it doesn't happen, we also don't need to freak out. We have need of perseverance. So for some reason, the fulfillment of his promise is somewhere in the future and it's perfectly timed for my benefit and the benefit of his whole world. Somehow the fulfillment of this, I can't think this is all about me. Somehow the fulfillment of this also benefits everybody else around me which is why I need to stop freaking out. Just chill out a little bit. Okay, so yet a little while will not delay. And then this is where this verse, Habakkuk 2.4, gets quoted three times in the New Testament. If you've got three different New Testament authors, well, it's two authors, Paul quotes it twice, and then Hebrews, um, it's pretty important. If an Old Testament verse gets quoted three times, in the New Testament, it's pretty important. And he only quotes half of it. He says, the righteous one, or the just, shall live by faith. So how do those who are right with God, how do those who are living in right orientation around God, right relationship with God, they live by faith, a trustful relationship with God. That's how they live. Those are the ones who are right with God. Now, Habakkuk 2.4 has a, a first half that doesn't get quoted. And it says this, Habakkuk 2.4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright within him, but the just shall live by faith. Um, let's see if I can quote off the top of my head. The Message Bible, it says, um, look, at, look, at the proud, look, at, look at the proud person, bloated by self-importance, but soul empty. But those in right standing with God through loyal and steady believing are fully alive, really alive. So there's this sense where the proud person orients their life around themselves and over time their soul becomes empty. There's nothing to them. They, in a sense, become that bright burning sun that burns up all of its resources and then that that gravity no longer can sustain a system, a solar system, and it collapses in on itself. And if the collapse is big enough, it becomes a black hole. A black hole that sucks even light into it. Have you been around those people? They suck. Everything into them. (laughs) If that was offensive, I'm really sorry. If I was gonna offend you, I should have done it on something else. So, but that's what, that's what pride does. It, can, it, it convinces us that we can sustain a universe. That I can control my career and control the relationships and control my family and control my children and can control the economy and can control politics and can control. And over time, you're burning up all of your resources and eventually they're all gone and it collapses in on itself. So behold the proud. Their soul is not upright within them. But those who are right with God, those who are standing in a good, healthy, sustained relationship with God, they live by faith. And then Hebrews says, and the one who shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in them. It's really hard to explain that. There are things that please God and there are things that do not. And your bad behavior doesn't alter that too much, if at all. There's something about our faith that, that puts us in God's pleasure is not arbitrary. 
okay, uh, it's not random. It's not uh, individualized. It's very consistent. We choose how we relate to God. God relates to us through his grace, through his love. That's, that's who he is. We choose how we relate to him. So when I'm in this present moment, apparently this, when I do this, apparently this means we're standing in time. Apparently that's what I just decided I'm going to do. So I'm in this moment, present. And there's the fulfillment. And how do I live right now? The just live by faith. So I, I maintain that orientation with God that I can trust him even though I can't see the fulfillment that he sees perfectly. So I'm going to trust him. But he says, those who shrink back, my soul has no pleasure in them. When we experience a setback, we get the choice whether to persevere, maintaining our trust in God, our continual step forward in his will, or shrink back. Setbacks do not mean you have to shrink back. It's when we face that setback and we go, it's all for naught. It's a big sham. It's all a lie. There's no pleasure for God in that because it's his delight to fulfill his promise for you. But we have need of endurance so that after we fulfill the will of God, we can receive So God is not just interested in fulfilling his promises for you. He is interested in transforming you into the kind of person that can receive his promises. That was a lot right there. I'm sorry about that. So somehow, whether I like it or not, whether I agree with him or not, I have this opportunity to live by faith and trust him, and in that process, in that perseverance, he is transforming me into the kind of person who can receive his promise and not be proud. Could still be humble and be able to receive his promise. Because just think about, if you go back to the way God's promises work, he blesses you with an agenda for you to be a blessing. So why would he bless someone that it's all gonna stay in with them? Now he does and he will, but we walk in the fullness of his blessing when we become a pathway for others to be blessed. So that's what it means to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. And then the last verse, verse 39, his soul takes no, 38, his soul takes no pleasure. Verse 39, but we are not those who shrink back. See, you're not those who shrink back. Oh yes, you're tempted to. You're tempted to just write it all off. But you're not those who shrink back. Even if you take a step back, that doesn't mean we're shrinking back. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. But of those who by faith and perseverance, we have faith and perseverance, preserve their souls Like we become the kind of people who can handle God's promises because we are people of faith, not of feeling. Now we have feelings and you shouldn't deny them. You certainly shouldn't suppress them, but you don't have to be controlled by them. And then verse one of Hebrews 11. Yeah, I need to be, I need to be done. Look at this. Now faith is now faith is see because faith has an understanding of this long obedience faith has an understanding that God's operating on time scales I can't fathom on my own I don't fully understand and I can trust him and so I'm going to live by faith So what is this moment when I'm in a confusing situation, when I'm in a struggle, I'm in a trial or a pain, and now faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, God's promises being fulfilled, future, the conviction of things not seen. No one else can see it, I can't even see it. But I have a conviction, because I've had confidence, 
and I've persevered, I have a conviction that God will be faithful to his promises. So now faith is. Look at what the amplified version says of verse one. Now faith is the assurance, the title deed, confirmation. The title deed and confirmation. I don't have the fulfillment of God's promises right now. I have a problem. I have a trial. I have a difficult circumstance. That's what I have now. What faith says is that I have the title deed of what is God guarantees on his character sometime in the future. That's faith right now. Of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed. That's why you have to know what God guarantees, not what you try to tell God to guarantee for you. And the evidence of things not seen. The conviction of their reality. Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. All you have in your physical senses is an attack on your body, an attack on a relationship, an attack on your emotions, an attack on a country, on a, a trial. So that's all that your senses are seeing. But faith does not get controlled by those. Faith somehow is able to look out into the future, hope, hope is always related to the future, and sees the fulfillment of those promises and says that now because of God's character, I can live with conviction. They are a reality. Oh, well, you're just not paying attention to circumstances. No, I just know that these circumstances that I have right now, they're temporary. I shouldn't be controlled by them because they're going to, like now isn't very long. Have you, have you ever thought about what the smallest unit of time is? No? Am I the only one who thinks about this stuff? Okay. It's like now faith is. Well, how long is now? Long, shorter than that. So, so these circumstances that I have right now, even if they are horrid. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I, like, this is like 10 years of wrestling with God trying to articulate this. Now, all we have is this, this, this struggle, this trial. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, I think it's, it's the last verse, verse 18. Yeah, no, verse 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. All right, so let me wrap this up. I've I've kept you too long, and we need to get to the most important thing, which is the table of the Lord. Even when our current circumstances seem absolutely horrid, and we know they are a violation of God's will, we know they're not God's will. Let's take something, uh, let, me, let me zoom this out into something very big and cosmic. Death. What we have in the moment is death. The death of a loved one. Something like that. That's, that's something extreme. So you have emotions about that. You have a struggle. You have unanswered questions. Okay, so now faith is. All right, so what does that look like when you're faced with something that extreme, that, that troubling? If you look through, and this is where you just kind of have to read your whole New Testament. What we have, I'm, I'm gonna summarize in like two minutes the whole New Testament, okay? What we have, a promise of God for the future is the return of Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. So somehow, when judgment comes, judgment is not condemnation. Judgment is a a decisive, eternal decision. When judgment comes, all of human history, all of history will come to this moment and he will judge all of history, okay? And we have the resurrection of the dead and new creation, Revelation 21 and 22, you have new heavens and new earth, 
okay? And 1 Corinthians 15, we have an immortal body, a body that cannot be touched by sin or sickness or disease, that death has no hold on. Death doesn't, death is incapable of touching, okay? So that's, 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 that's a guarantee of the future. And so that those who have died are in a temporary holding place called, we call now heaven, but there's not a lot of New Testament verses that assigns that space as heaven. It's, it's the presence of the Lord is what it's often described as. But it's a temporary holding space until new heavens and new earth, okay? And a new body, a resurrected body that death can't touch, sin has no hold on, okay? And so those who have died will receive, will receive future that body and will live eternal life in a new body. Are you with me? Okay. So God is as much in that moment as he is in your present moment with the death of a loved one. He's in both moments simultaneously. Okay. And this is a promise he will deliver on, guaranteed. It could be a year from now. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. It's just gonna, it's going to happen. God guarantees it. Okay? And this is our blessed hope. First Timothy 3. That's our blessed hope. It is the ultimate hope. Every other hope of God's promise being fulfilled, that's a small hope. Our blessed hope is that justice will be done. And everything Satan, sin, and death has touched or marred, God will heal and restore. That's worth exploring a long time, just not now. Okay? And God is as much in that moment as he is in our present moment. And so now faith is. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So now, the way we live with perseverance now is that we recognize God's gonna deliver on 100% of his promises and I can trust him. I'm still confused, I still have unanswered questions, but I can trust him. And if I think of that, let's maybe back one step off from death and I'm going through some type of physical ailment or emotional ailment, sorry, some type of emotional ailment. Are you with me? Okay, so let's just pretend for a second I'm physically like really struggling with something. There is a guarantee that I will have a resurrected body that sin, sickness, disease, death can't touch. I have a hope for that. It's a blessed hope and it's guaranteed and we have, and I have a down payment. I have a down payment of that delivery on the promise, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's the guarantor of that. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What I see is an ailment. And this light momentary affliction, it's but for a moment. But I look to the things that are not seen. That future when I have a resurrected body, hope. And faith pulls into the present what is guaranteed by God in the future. And I live today as if I've already lived that future. And this is how we work with God in partnership is we pull his promises into the present by faith. We live presently by trusting him based on the fulfillment of his promises before anybody, including us, sees the fulfillment of that. Okay, that got really heavy. I'm really sorry about that. It comes out every once in a while. I didn't have a TV to control me. So, so, here's, so what, if, what if we lose? What if I die? Does that mean his promise is not fulfilled? No, one day I'm gonna have a resurrected body. This is why I can have endurance all the way down. <laughs> and I don't think I'm gonna go all the way down. But the whole, but the, what if? You know, what if you do? What, what if? Or what if I actually experience healing? What about that? You ever think about that? I struggle with skepticism and cynicism. So when someone's that towards me, buddy, I know how to put it right back in their face. 
So this is how I live by faith. Is that I just trust God. He's gonna fulfill all of this. I'd like it to be in my timeline, but it's not. So I'm just gonna kind of walk by faith. And if I can't see very far out, I'm gonna take whatever the next step of God's will is. And standing in faith for his promises to come to fulfillment is part of that next step, whatever that is. And I can live with joy and peace, not because of anything going on around me, but because I, by faith, am reaching out into the future by hope and pulling it into the present. So it shouldn't surprise us when something happens, like, you know, our senior pastor having a heart attack. It's unfortunate, and it's the devil, bottom line. But what do we need? Perseverance. It just means we were heading in the right direction, not the wrong direction. And we are not those who shrink back. We actually have perseverance to keep stepping forward. And, and this is where there's so much about the table of the Lord that, that puts this in practice. I mean, it's the future and the past in the present. Where when we come to the table of the Lord... We, in a sense, are rewinding time to sit with Jesus and his disciples at the Passover supper the night before the night he was betrayed, and we break bread with them in the past. Somehow in the spirit, we rewind to the past, and then somehow in the spirit, we fast forward into the future at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and somehow in the present, we bring both of those together and just say, I I trust God that his body is broken for me. And I can receive the promises that come with that broken body. And his blood was shed for me. And I can receive those promises that were given for me by his blood being shed for me. And this is, this is why this is the, the most central act of a believer is to come to this table. Because it admits we bring nothing to this table. Jesus gives us everything. And now faith is, what faith is, is I receive everything he has to give me. And I live because I can, the reason why I can trust him is that he gave everything for me. He put his life on the line for me. And his body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. And I can trust him. And so when you come to the table, we we bring this disorientation, this struggle, this, this depression, this... This, this ailment, and we receive what he has to give.